So last week we started a brand new message series called Pursuing God's Vision for uh, the Future of Our Church. And we're really just kind of digging into the story of Nehemiah and really trying to learn some guiding principles, some key ideas that I think will help us position ourselves to really discern God's vision for where we're heading as a congregation, as a body of believers. Uh, and so if you weren't here last week or haven't had an opportunity to catch the message from last week, you can kind of catch up on all the messages, really. If you want to go back and hear one again, or maybe you missed one and you want to, to hear it, you can do that on our website, lakeviewwestland.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Uh, maybe you didn't know we had a podcast, but we do. Uh, and you can subscribe to that in the podcast app of your choice. And uh, you'll be able to kind of track with us through that. For those of you who weren't here last week, and for those of you that were but forgot what we talked about, I'm going to just <laughs> recap a couple of key ideas from last Sunday to kind of frame where we're going today. So last week we talked about the fact that a vision is a clear picture of the future that compels us to take action. We talked about Andy Stanley's definition of vision where he says vision is a picture of the future of what could and should be. In other words, there's this reality that happens in our lives as we're pursuing God's vision that we start to get a picture in our hearts and in our minds of what could be true in the future, of a way a situation could be different or could be better. And then at some point, there's a moment where that idea of what could be better actually becomes a conviction that it should be better should be different. And that conviction grips our hearts and it compels us to take action to make that future a reality. That's what vision is. We spent a few minutes last week talking about why vision is important. And you might remember if you were here, we talked about the fact that without vision, we might think that our current reality is our final destination. Right? If, we, if we buy into this idea that where we are today is our final destination, then we'll settle for the status quo, and we won't pursue what God has for us in the future. We said that without vision, we will lack unity. Right? We said if we don't have one compelling picture of the future that we're all driving towards, we might become a church of a thousand visions, with everybody rowing in different directions. And when a church does that, guess what happens? We go nowhere. Right? So vision helps us be unified. And then we said that without vision, we won't be able to maximize our fruitfulness. And we'd looked at the parable of the talents. Remember, there were three servants. And we said we don't want to be like the one servant who took what the master gave him and buried it in the ground. And then when the master returned, the servant dug up what he had buried and gave it back to the master and said, here you go. And the master said, well, that's wicked. You didn't do what I asked you to do. Right? We want to be like the other two servants who say, God, whatever you give to us, we're going to faithfully invest it to maximize the return for the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to do as a church. So we talked about what vision is. We talked about why vision's important. And then the big idea from last week is that vision is born at the intersection between a situation that doesn't match God's intention for that situation and the prayers of God's people. So when there's a situation that doesn't live up to what God intends, what God desires, what God wants, and the people of God seek God in prayer for that situation, in that intersection of those two things, that's where vision starts to take shape. 
And we left Nehemiah last week at the end of chapter 1 where Nehemiah had discovered the situation in Jerusalem, that the walls had been torn down, the gates had been burned with fire, and the people were living in shame and in great trouble. And Nehemiah, with a broken and burdened heart, turned to his God and sought God in prayer and fasting. For several days he wept and he mourned before God. And God started to work in Nehemiah's heart. And that's where we left the story last week. Now we pick the story up this week where Nehemiah now is going to appear before the king. And if you don't read Nehemiah carefully, you might think that this is like the next day. Right? Like Nehemiah had this encounter with God. He falls on his face. He weeps. He mourns. He prays. God gives him a vision. And then tomorrow he's implementing it you got to read Nehemiah a little more carefully than that because actually it's several months. Some commentators believe three to four months. It might have been a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter, but somewhere around three to four months. And it's important for us to just understand right here that uh, vision takes a little bit of time for it to take shape. This is really important for us to understand because we come to places in our lives where uh, we want to move forward right now, right? We're ready to tackle it. We want to pursue the future. And I know some of you are there for Lakeview Church. I know because you've told me. You've said, can we just go forward already, <laughs> right? Some of you want to move forward into the future God has for us like yesterday, right? You just want to, you just want to tackle it. And I get it. I get it because I'm the same way, right? I just want to get it done, like, let's just move forward, let's, and let's just do everything God wants us to do. But over these next few months, we're going to practice the discipline of patience. And it's really important that we do that. And here's why it's really important that we practice the discipline of patience. Because we want to be really, really sure that we're not running after my vision. We want to be really, really sure that we're not running after your vision. Because at the end of the day, we don't want my vision for Lakeview Church. And we don't want your vision for Lakeview Church. We want God's vision for Lakeview Church. So you guys are getting better at that. That's good. That was exactly the right moment to say amen, too. So that was beautiful. We're going to be patient just for these next few months and go a little bit slower than maybe we want to go. We're going to go slower than, than in, in my heart I want to go. I want to go faster. I want to get it done. But I want us to go slower over the next few months because when we turn the corner into a new year, I want us to be able to run fast and full with everything that God has given us because we know that we have discerned God's vision and we don't have any questions so we can just run after it with everything that we've got. So we're going to go a little bit slower now to go faster later. The discipline of patience. Nehemiah engages in the discipline of patience. We're not told a lot about this in the story of Nehemiah, but there really is several months between Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah 2. He knows what's happening in Jerusalem. He's seeking God in prayer. And then he shows up a few months later in front of the king. And when he shows up in front of the king, we know that things have been happening in the meantime because Nehemiah now has a clear vision and a plan. He knows what he wants to do in Jerusalem, what God's put in his heart to do. That's what he tells the people in chapter 3. We haven't gotten there yet, but in chapter 3, he'll tell the people in Jerusalem what God had put in his heart to do. 
So he's going to discover what God wants him to do, and he knows what he needs to accomplish it. He knows what permission he needs from the king. He knows what provision he needs from the king. And he knows what protection he needs from the king. So what's happened in those three or four months is that a clear vision and plan has taken shape. So Nehemiah clearly has been diligent in these few months. But what I love about Nehemiah chapter 2 is that we find a really good leader. I think Nehemiah is a really good leader. But he's not kind of the picture that we always idealize. Like, he's not a never afraid, always courageous, take on anything at any time without any fear or anxiety at all. He's not that kind of leader. He's like a leader like you and me. Just like a normal person. Right? He's got a plan and a vision from God. He knows what God wants him to do. But he's very much afraid, is what it says in the passage. I read Nehemiah and I'm like, I get this guy. I understand him. Right? I want to do what God wants us to do. I want to pursue God no matter what and with everything that I've got. But there are moments, if I'm honest with you, that I have those little checks in my heart of like, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be challenging. This is going to cost something. And in those moments, I feel a little bit of that fear that Nehemiah feels in this passage. But here's what I love about Nehemiah. He's very much afraid, but he's still diligent to do what God's asked him to do. He knows the next step, talk to the king. He knows what's required of him next, and so he's willing to do it. But I love how he does it. He does this diligent next step with this complete dependence on God. Right? He's standing in front of the king, Nehemiah, why are you sad? And he tells us, I was very much afraid. And then, what does he do next? Somewhere in the back of his mind, in his heart, under his breath, dear God, help me. I don't know if you've ever done this kind of stuff. I do it all the time. Where I'm talking to someone, I'm in front of someone, and I'm having a conversation, and I, I don't know what to do next, or I know what to do next, but I'm a little afraid to do it. And in those moments, while I'm talking to that person in front of me, I'm having that conversation and another one. Nehemiah is doing that, diligently taking the next step. I gotta talk to the king, because the king's the key to seeing this vision accomplished but I also got to talk to my God because I need the favor of God in order for the king to give me what I need. And it's right here that we learn a really important principle for pursuing God's vision. It's the big idea for today. Pursuing God's vision requires that we hold in dynamic tension these two things, diligence and dependence. Diligence and dependence, that we would do faithfully and sacrificially whatever God's asking us to do, that we would be obedient to take the next steps, but at the very same time, we would be 100% completely dependent on God, knowing that if we're just doing the next step in our own strength, it's not enough. We're not good enough, competent enough, capable enough, powerful enough, strong enough to do it on our own. We need the favor of God at the same time. So we have to be diligent and we have to be dependent. Nehemiah exemplifies this beautifully. 
right? Somewhere between chapter one and chapter two, a vision starts to form. So Nehemiah says, okay, what do we need to do when we get to Jerusalem? Well, we need to rebuild the walls and we're going to have to make new gates and we're going to have to hang those gates and we're going to need people to do the work. And in order to do that, we're also going to need some resources and I'm going to need a house to live in and I'm going to need protection to get through this land to where I need to go. And only the king can make sure I'm safe when I'm passing through enemy territory. So I'm going to need that too. And he crafts a plan. He's very diligent. And that's important. But we know that he's also completely dependent. Dependent because the vision and plan really is born in prayer. It starts there. And even when he's talking to the king, he's simultaneously talking to God because he knows I need God to do this work. And we know that he has this disposition because at the end of the passage that Zoe read for us, we find that Nehemiah says the king granted by request because the gracious hand of God was upon me. See, Nehemiah is not saying, I did a good job. That was a great elevator pitch. No, Nehemiah is not saying, look at what I did. He's saying, look at how God's hand was upon me. You see, there's diligence on Nehemiah's part, but there's also dependence. We have to keep these two things together. Now, there's a temptation to go one way or the other on this. Right? There's one temptation which says, I'm going to be really passive. After all, God's God, and he does it all, and it's all his work. So I'm going to sit back and do nothing and watch God do his work. And that kind of sounds spiritual, right? Except God has chosen to partner with human beings like you and me to get his work done in the world. I don't understand why he does this, because he clearly doesn't need us. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. And he doesn't need our help to get it done. He's God. And yet, God has chosen, decided, elected to partner with us so that we have a part in the work that God's trying to accomplish in the world. So there is this partnership between us and God. I don't understand it. If I was God, I might not design it this way. But he didn't ask me. (laughs) Right? It's just really, really clear that God's decided to work this way. He's always worked through people. And so he's partnered with us. So we can't just sit passively back because if we do, God's work will be hindered. It won't go as fast and as far as he wants it to go because he's decided to do it through us, so we need to be engaged. On the other hand, the other end of the spectrum, we can't be overly active and assume that once God gives us a vision, that we can make it happen. Right? Thanks, God. We got what we need from you. Now you just go do your thing, God, and we'll do ours. Sometimes we behave that way, but when we get into our own strength, pretty soon we fall flat on our face. You know why? Because that's the ultimate act of arrogance and pride. To say, God, thanks for the vision and the plan. We'll take it from here. Right? And when we shift into pride, guess what happens? The God who wanted to partner with us opposes us. Right? I mean, that's an actual verse in the Bible, in case you were wondering. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
So when God says, this is what I want you to do, we should be engaged in it, but we should be engaged in, in a disposition that says, God, we're going to do what you've asked us to do, but we know that if you don't breathe life into this, we're just not that good. We're just not that good. Now, this is a little aside. This is not part of the message. So don't count this against my time, okay? Sometimes when churches have really great heritages that they can look back on and say, look at how God has been so faithful in our past. I'm not saying this is true of our church, but this is, this is a temptation. When you look back on your past and you see all the ways that God has used the church and you say, look at how God's been so faithful and all these great things God has done, there's a temptation, if we're not careful, to shift over into pride. Say, look at how great we were. No, no. It's always look at how great God was. God worked in and through us, and we give God all the praise and all the glory and all the honor because God opposes the proud. And when we move into the future God has for us, more than anything else, I just want you to know we need God's favor. We can work against a lot of obstacles, but we don't want to work against the obstacle of God opposing us. <laughs> so let's just make sure we stay humble. Okay? We can't be passive. God, you do it all. We'll just sit back and watch the show. We can't be overly active. We've got to be both diligent and dependent, doing whatever God's asked us to do, faithfully, sacrificially, Investing everything God's called us to invest in the work that he wants to do in and through Lakeview Church. And at the very same time, completely dependent on God to say, God, only you can do this work. So what does this mean for us today? Well, I want to give you two things, two kind of statements that I think kind of frame how we can be diligent and dependent in this season of vision discernment. First, dil uh, diligence Right? Faithfully and sacrificially invest whatever God has entrusted to your care in the current ministry of Lakeview Church. Faithfully and sacrificially invest whatever God's entrusted to your care into the current ministry of Lakeview Church. It's what it means for us to be diligent. God's given all of us time, talent, and treasure, and he has done that not for our own benefit, but so that he can work through us to accomplish his purposes in and through this church. So I want to encourage you to think about your time. Are you making the most of your time? Is your calendar too full? And if it is too full, is it too full of things that really matter for the kingdom? Or is it full of things that are inconsequential as it relates to the kingdom? And what would it take for you to strip away the things in your calendar that are inconsequential for the kingdom so that you can put more things into your calendar that really matter for eternity? Right? Now, I didn't come today to get in your business, right? I don't want to do that, like, because then you won't like me, and I want you to like me. But I just want you to know that we only have so many days. I don't know how many days we have. 
I don't know how many days I have left, and you don't know how many days you have left. What I do know is that today is one day less than yesterday was. I know that for sure. And the same is true for you. And I don't want us to spend any more of our days just wasting them on inconsequential things. So I'm encouraging you, challenging you, inviting you to just think about what goes on your calendar. What are you investing your time in to see the work of God go forward in and through Lakeview Church and in this community? Because that's why God put us here, to invest every bit that we can in the work of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you just have to come to church and sign up for things and, and just try to fill your calendar with volunteering at the church as if that's the only way God uses your life to impact our community. No, when you go as a school teacher to the school where you teach, you can represent God there, and God uses that to actually transform our community. And when you go to your business and you make sure that your business is running according to principles that reflect the character of Christ, and you employ people and help them find a fulfilling and rich life in this community, you are doing something to advance the purposes of God in our community. And when you build a relationship with your neighbor and you tell them about who Jesus is, you're actually doing the work of the kingdom in those moments. And you can come here and you can invest your time, and I want to encourage you to do that because our kids need an investment of adults who say, we know the next generation matters, so we're going to invest in their lives. And we have teens who need people to lead their small groups. And so we need you to invest in that way as well. And, and we have ministries across our church that need an investment of time. I want to encourage you to think about that. But I also want you to redeem every other moment of your day to represent Christ and advance his purposes. Think about your time. That's what it means to be diligent. Secondly, think about your talents. God's given you gifts and skills and strengths and abilities, and if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given you spiritual gifts, and, and all of those things have been given to you by God, not so you can polish them and put them on a shelf and say, look at that, isn't that pretty? No, he's given you all of those things so they can be employed in the work of the kingdom of God in our community. So what skills and strengths and abilities has God given you? And what is his expectation for how you might use those to further his work? Again, some of you have gifts of hospitality and you need to be on the welcome team. You need to help people feel comfortable when they walk into this building so that all of the barriers are removed except the barrier of the gospel because we want them to hear the gospel and have an opportunity to respond to that. And we don't want anything else to get in their way. You can help that happen if you give your talents of hospitality to that end. Some of you are really, really good at caring for others, and you should be leading a small group, or you should be working with one of our uh, shepherd teams to care for people in our congregation. Maybe you need to be investing in the lives of young people, as we said, by leading a small group or helping out in kids' ministry. Some of you have gifts of working with your hand, and we have lots of things to do around here, setting up and tearing down and fixing things. In case you didn't notice when you came in, the door blew off our building yesterday. We got all those pastors in here with all that hot air, and one of our doors just blew right off its hinges. It's just, it's the kind of a, a risk of inviting all those pastors into one room. We got stuff to fix around here. 
And you might be good with your hands and you might have an opportunity to invest those in helping the church. Listen, you have skills, strengths, and abilities and they came from God. And while they help you make a living, they also can be used to further the work of God in this church and in our community. And I just want you to think about your talents. How are you using your talents to invest in the work of God? And then treasure. I just need everybody before we to spend these next few minutes talking about money, to take a deep breath. Okay, just take a deep breath. Cleansing breath. Breathe in, and just breathe out. It's going to be okay. When you think about your physical and financial resources, do you see yourself as an owner or a steward? Do you think the stuff that you have belongs to you, or do you think it belongs to God and he just let you use it for a little while? See, the foundational principle of Christian teaching is that anything that we have, any physical resource, any financial resource, it didn't come from us. We didn't create it. We didn't make it. No matter how much of a self-made person you think you are, everything you have comes from God. He's the creator, the founder, the owner of it all. And he entrusts it to our care. And the question is, are we managing our resources well? This is the issue of stewardship. So when we think about our finances, we realize that 100% of our paycheck comes from God. We know that you might think about who writes your paycheck, but, but just understand the person behind that person is God. God provides those resources for your life. And God, as a way to help us remember that it all comes from him, asks us to take the first 10%, the top, the first fruit, the beginning of our financial resources before we do anything else and invest that back into the work of God in the community of faith that we belong to. The Bible calls that the tithe. Now, some of us think, well, that's being legalistic that we've got to give 10%. And I just want to let you know that that's not being legalistic. The tithe is just like a minimum standard. Because God actually wants you to be more generous than that. Because God himself is a generous God. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when Paul's writing about this whole idea of what it means for us to learn how to give and to sow into the work that God wants to do in and through the church, Paul says, God is the one who gave the generous gift of his son. In other words, God is a generous God, and so we give 10% plus whatever else God leads us to give. Why? Because God wants us to continue to learn that we don't own anything we just manage it, and it belongs to him. So, so we don't hold things like this. We hold things like this. And when God says, I want that, we just say, go ahead and take it. He doesn't have to pry our fingers off of it. We're just holding it like this. Now, I tell you all of that to say this. I, I want to always be honest with you about where we are financially. And I'm going to do that now at the risk of kind of inching out on a branch that might break and I might come crashing to the ground. Um, I'm going to just kind of inch out on that limb now. And if I fall, some loving person, please come pick me up and, and brush me off after this is over. I want to let you know where we're at financially. This is really important for all of us to know this. 
Our fiscal year started at the beginning of June, and we've been walking through that time since the beginning of June, and offerings have been coming in. I just want to let you know that every single week we're coming somewhere between two and $3,000 short each week. So if you play that out over the course of an entire fiscal year of 52 weeks, what you discover is that we're going to probably be somewhere between $100,000 to $150,000 short to meet the obligations of our budget by the end of our fiscal year. Now, I just want to also let you know that we are committed to good, wise stewardship and sound fiscal responsibility as a church. So we as a finance committee and a local board of administration, we're already starting to work on contingency plans of what would need to be eliminated from the ministry of our church what would need to be reduced or scaled back, and what would need to be put on pause until a future date. Because regardless of what happens to our income over the rest of this fiscal year, one of the things that our leadership is committed to, and I'm committed to as your pastor, is making sure that we spend less than we take in. Which, by the way, is the way you should manage your own personal money. It's just a smart way to live. Whatever you bring in, just spend less, okay? And maybe if enough of us do that, the government will catch on, okay? Just whatever you bring in, just spend less. We're going to do that as a church. Now, that said, I don't want to cut a single thing that God wants us to do in this next year. I don't want to cut a single thing. I don't want to reduce the ministry of our church. I don't want to put things on pause until a later date. God has asked us to do things this year. Yes, we're discerning vision. And yes, that's going to be clear. And yes, we're going to run after that. But before then, we still have ministry to do. So here's what I'm asking you to do. All I'm asking you to do is just evaluate your financial investment in the life of Lakeview Church. And if you evaluate that, and I want you to do that just in front of the Lord, just you and the Lord. If if you do that with the Lord, just to say, God, am I being faithful with everything that you've asked me to do? If you'll do that, and you get to the end of that conversation with the Lord, and the Lord says, yes, then you're good. You shouldn't give another dime beyond what the Lord has asked you to give if you get to the end of your time with the Lord and you feel like, yes, I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. Don't give any more beyond what he's asked you to do. But if you do that evaluation and you sense God saying, well, I want you to give this, just remember, just hold it like this. You say, but if I give that, then I won't be able to do this. Well, do you trust God or not? If God's asking for it, remember, he owns it. So just hold it like this. And if God says, I want that, all I'm asking you to do is just obey God. And listen, if everybody does that, if we all do that together, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. All right? Now, I don't know if the branch broke or not. Okay? If it did, just tell me later. Okay? But right now, there's a lot of you, even 
even with the mask on, I just am assuming and imagining that you're all smiling and happy and everything is good. Okay? We have to be diligent. Faithfully and sacrificially invest whatever God's entrusted to our care into the ministry that God's calling us to do so that we can be positioned for the future that God wants us to pursue. He who is faithful with little can be trusted to be faithful with much. So let's be faithful with what God's asking us to do today so that he can trust us with more next year. And when he entrusts us with that, let's be faithful so he can keep trusting us with more. One more thing today, and then we're going to wrap up. Diligence and dependence. That we would consistently and fervently ask God to bless and multiply our efforts. All week long, I've been thinking about the little boy in the book of Matthew when Jesus has got this crowd of people that need food. They're hungry. They've been listening to Jesus teach. They're, they're kind of hungry, and the disciples say, well, how are we going to feed them? And Jesus says, you feed them. And they don't know how to feed them. They don't have any food. And then there's this little boy. And he brings us lunch. Right? He's the little boy whose mom was thinking ahead. Like, here's a, here's a little lunch. Take that with you. You might need that today while you're gone. And the little boy takes what he's got. And he gives it to Jesus. It's clearly not enough to feed all of those people. But in the hands of Jesus, anything is possible. And so this little boy takes his lunch, gives it to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He blesses it, and he multiplies it. Everybody gets fed, and there's plenty left over. That's what the power of God can do. That's what the power of God can do. I just want to be real, real clear. We are not good enough, capable enough, competent enough, strong enough to do what our community needs done to see the kingdom of God fully realized right here in Grant County. We're not that good. But in the hands of Jesus, anything, possible. So while we will be 100% diligent investing our time, our talents, and our treasure in the work that God wants to do in and through us, we are at the very same time going to be completely dependent on God because we need his favor. I love what Nehemiah says at the end of this little story that we read today. He says, the king granted me permission because the gracious hand of God was upon me. That's what we need. So I'm asking you to keep fervently seeking God in prayer during these days. Let's do whatever God asks us to do with our time, talent, and treasure, and let's stay on our faces before God to say, God, please do your work in and through us. So Father, today, I just am again bringing this church, church that I love, people that I love, and God, just before your throne today, I'm representing all of us as one body of believers. Those who are in this room and those who are joining us online today. 
And as one body, God, I'm asking that you would speak to us clearly so that we know the right way to invest our time, our talents, and our treasure. May we not hold anything back from you because you own it all anyway, and it all comes from you. So may we, may we invest it fully in the way you tell us to. And then, God, most importantly, would you favor this church? Not for our name, not for our sake, not for our fame or our recognition or our reward. Would you favor this church? Because when you look at this church, you see a church that is humble, surrendered, and pliable. You can do whatever you want to do in us and through us because we belong to you. And God, as you see us that way, would you breathe life into what we do? so that your church can be built, your kingdom can expand, and disciples can be made across this community who change the world. So we seek you today, God, because we need your favor. Help us to be diligent and dependent, and may you get all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.